I'm Bonnie Grant, and today you'll hear my story on San Francisco people. Hey, everybody. Welcome to San Francisco people. This is Frank Garza, and welcome to episode 10. I'm really happy that the podcast made it this far. You know, I launched it back in August, and I got two to three episodes in, and I started to realize this is, this is going to be a fair amount of work. And um, I kind of went through the thought process of, do I, do I really want to do this? And what I decided at the time was I was going to do 10 episodes no matter what. Um, that'd give me a chance to smooth them, smooth some things out, get the kinks worked out, and um, also have enough data I felt to really make a decision on, do I want to press forward with this? So um, so what's the verdict? Am I going to do another 10 episodes? Hell yeah. I'm loving this. Um, I already have the next three guests um, on the schedule already. I'm in talks with others to uh, get them on future episodes. So Things are going well, um, we're going strong, and uh, so we're definitely going to do another 10, and I look forward to that. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, episode 10 is today, and our guest is Bonnie Grant. Um, I met Bonnie through my good friend Joe Bohan. Uh, I used to work with Joe. Um, we worked for the same company when I was in Louisiana. He was living um, near Houston, Texas. And uh, even though we worked in two different states, we worked on a lot of project teams together. He's a great guy. And um, he let me know recently that he had a friend um, living in San Francisco that I had to get on the podcast. And that was Bonnie. And so I reached out to Bonnie. She has a lot of interesting stuff going on. And we talked about all kinds of things on this podcast. Um, She's a patent attorney. And so um, we talked a lot about her experiences there. She shared what some of her most interesting cases have been uh, that she's worked on and won. Um, She moved to San Francisco from Austin only two years ago. And uh, so we talked about what that transition was like and what some of the differences between Austin and San Francisco are, including the dating scene. Yep, we're going to talk about Tinder. We're going to talk about Tindering on today's episode. And um, Bonnie lives in Laurel Heights. So she's going to share what some of her favorite spots in her hood are, as well as throughout San Francisco. So let's go talk to Bonnie. I was born and raised in Austin, Texas. Um, I lived there with my family until I was around 15, a sophomore in high school. And from that point on, we had a series of moves that ended in me attending four different high schools. Oh, wow. Yeah, I from moved around. From 15 to 18. Um, from 15 till whenever you graduate from high school. I guess I was, is that 18? Yeah. Sure. Um, so what was going on was my mother was obtaining her uh, PhD at the University of Texas. And she has three kids and she was going to school and studying to get her PhD throughout our childhoods. And she finally graduated uh, when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, we moved so that she could go get her postdoctoral research fellowship at Duke University in North Carolina. Hmm. Nice. And we all moved out there the middle of my sophomore year of high school. Yeah. And then I attended a few high schools there. And then we finally moved back to Texas. How'd you like North Carolina? It was great. I liked it a lot. 
Um, the weather was a nice change. It wasn't so stifling hot as compared to Texas. Um, moving that much during high school was difficult. Uh, I have lots of memories of being the new kid in school several different times and have knowing no one in the cafeteria and having to walk up to people and ask if I could sit with them at lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but that made me who I am today. And I was sad and we had to leave North Carolina and come back to Texas. I grew to really like it. Right. Yeah. And so you decided to, um, go to school in Austin as yes. well. How come? So, well, the last move was back to Texas, the middle of my senior year of high school, directly before prom. Um, that was really fun. And so since I was back in Texas and we had just moved around again, I figured attending the University of Texas at Austin was the best choice. That's what I did. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what did you major in? Mechanical engineering. All right. Yes. And um, I know you went to law school after that. So did you decide you didn't want to be a mechanical engineer right away? Correct. I, well, not right away. Um, I was a senior, actually, a super senior, five years. And towards the end of that time, I just decided that engineering wasn't something I really wanted to do 100% of the time. Um, So I started to attend a few lectures that the university's career services centers offered. Uh, One was called Alternative Careers in Engineering, and there was a patent attorney there speaking, um, telling us that we could become patent agents or patent attorneys because those people have to have engineering or technical backgrounds. And so that appealed to me, and I set the ball in motion to go to law school. Okay, so you um, went into patent law. Yep. Got your law degree, and I know you were telling me offline that there's... um, couple different areas of patent law that you've worked patent like prosecution and patent litigation can you explain what the difference is between those two yes um most people when they hear patent prosecution they think of litigating because the word prosecution in the criminal context means to litigate a a criminal to bring him to court Uh, but patent prosecution means the act of applying for patents So drafting a patent application and corresponding and going back and forth with the United States Patent Office um, to attempt to get a patent. That's patent prosecution. Patent litigation is, the word litigation, self-explanatory. It's when um, the patent holder sues another person or company for infringing that patent and that occurs occurs in the U.S. district courts, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the patent office. Can you give us an example of, I guess, so with each one of those uh, different examples, sure. um, of like what were some of the most interesting cases you worked on? Um, when I was a prosecutor, one of my main clients was a company called YKK, and they make zippers. Um, there is some statistic that goes something like the that every person is estimated to have at least three zippers manufactured by YKK, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the most widespread product ever. I mean, right. if you would say every person has three TVs, then that would be ridiculous, or every person right. has three cars, but every person has three YKK zippers. And, uh, I'm going to check. I'm going to check. Well, <laughs> I have one. Yes. <laughs> I'm wearing jeans. I check my zipper. It says YKK. It's the YKK. It's uh, in an Outkast song. He has a lyric where he says YKK on my zipper. And oh, wow. it's kind of a little pun there. Okay. Um, 
anyway, they have um, all different types of zippers, and you wouldn't think that they were still innovating new products, but they certainly are. Um, so I filed a few patent applications for different zippers for YKK. Um, all different types of applications. They One of the more interesting ones was they made one for like a... Navy SEALs who are diving or otherwise in very treacherous water conditions. So it's very high-tech waterproof zippers right? Um, that can operate at certain depths. So. so what about the litigation side? What's your favorite story or example case you worked on from there? Um, probably one of the funnest has been my Nike versus Adidas case. Um, Nike had a patent for uh, it covered a specific feature in the um, Nike Shocks line of shoes. I think it was called Shocks. But they look like little pillars in your heel. It's The heel is kind of see-through a little bit, mm-hmm. and it looks like little boing-boing pillars in your heel. And Adidas came out with a line of shoes called Bounce, which look like sideways tubes, like macaroni <laughs> in okay. your heel. Um, and Nike sued Adidas for infringing a patent that Nike had. Um, one of the things that made it exciting was that it was a competitor case and Nike and Adidas are fierce competitors mm-hmm. and they hate each other and they were really willing to fight it out. And it was, um, fun in that way. We also got to play with an awful lot of shoes. Right. So you were representing Adidas? That's correct. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And so whatever happened with that case, who won? Um, we won. Adidas did. Excellent. (laughs) Um, you know, very few cases go to trial. Um, I think it's the estimate is 95% of cases settle. Um, so somewhere along the way, what normally happens is one of the parties gets a ruling that's better or worse and they start to get a little scared and then they want to settle. Um, and so we were lucky enough to have a very favorable ruling along the way. And um, um, shortly thereafter, the, the case settled. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I've, all, I've started when I meet a lawyer. Um, I always ask them, have you actually um, been in court with one of your cases? Because I'm shocked at like how few people can answer yes to that question. It's, it's rare. That's right. Have you argued a case in court? I have. I have. I've been to. Um, I've been to two trials. Okay. Uh, one was in federal court in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, and we won. Uh, we won four million dollars. That was really exciting. And then my second case was a pro bono case, which means for free, um, and. I was handling a case, it's a, it was a landlord-tenant dispute. My client was the tenant and had basically gotten unfairly evicted, and so we went to court for that. Excellent. Yeah. So I know you also said you have some experience with the patent trolling world, and yes. um, you had pointed me to uh, a great podcast on This American Life, which I listened to. That was great, all about the patent trolling and its intellectual ventures. Yes. What type <laughs> of experience do you have with them? Um, with patent trolls in general, I have a lot of experience. There's all types of trolls out there and, um, it certainly has been a problem for many companies here in the U S who are repeatedly targeted by patent trolls. It feels very much like extortion. Um, a patent troll for those who might not be familiar 
is a, a company that owns a patent and doesn't make anything and probably didn't invent whatever des- is described in the patent, uh, but they own it and then they just sue people with it. Most of the time, patent trolls are lawyers mm-hmm. um, who have figured out that suing people is big business and they go buy patents on the cheap from companies who are down on their luck or perhaps even bankrupt and are selling all their assets. And they sell patents just like they would sell office furniture or a lease. And so anyone can come in and buy the patent and most often it's lawyers. Um, And then once you own the patent, then you can sue anyone you want with it. And so patent trolls also referred to as non-practicing entities, mm-hmm. um, are these people who have come upon a patent and then just sue everyone with it. Mm. Anyway, um, and what, uh, so were you defending people that patent trolls were coming after? Correct. I am a defense attorney. I've never been a plaintiff's attorney or represented a patent owner. Okay. That's an important distinguishing factor right. in lawyers. Were you ever able to, because I know Intellectual Ventures is like the big so-called patent troll yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, were you able, ever able to successfully fend them off? So um, my law firm, well, me, yes, I've fought intellectual ventures in um, two different cases, I guess you could say. And our client was Motorola. Okay. Um, intellectual ventures sued them once in Delaware with approximately seven patents. And then... They sued them again in South Florida with, I think, seven other patents. Um, so, yes, Intellectual Ventures really went after Motorola hard and many other companies, basically all the electronics manufacturers. Um, it's ex- extremely expensive to fight them, and they demand very high fees for obtaining a license. Um so most people, it seems like, give up because they don't have the money to fight them all the way, right? In general, that's what people tend to do with patent trolls because it just makes more sense to give them the money that they want for a license rather than fight them all the way through trial. Right. There are some patent trolls who are demanding so much money that it might make sense to the company to go ahead and fight it all the way through trial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. so I'll, I'll definitely put a link in the show notes to that to that podcast from Miss American Life, there's actually two of them. Yes, and, they did uh, two part series. They're, they're really really interesting. I suggest everybody uh, have a listen. All right, so you moved to San Francisco what a couple of years ago? It will be two years in March. I moved March one, two thousand thirteen. Right, and um, from what I remember, that was the, I guess, peak time for like just really crazy housing. Mm-hmm. In San Francisco, you know, a friend, I had, you know, a lot of friends who wanted to find an apartment, but they couldn't even get somebody to like take their check, yeah. you know, let them in. What, what was your experience like moving here at that time? You know, everyone told me it was going to be that way and adding difficulty, I have a dog right. who's not a lap dog. And so to find someone that had accepted a dog and was in a neighborhood that was dog friendly, I thought was going to be extra hard. Um, but as it turned out, my experience was relatively easy. I um, was running in a neighborhood and saw a sign in the window that said for rent. And I showed up at the open house 
And um, <laughs> this is a little funny. The landlord lined us up in a row, all the applicants. <laughs> there was about five other people there, so six total. And he lined us all up in a row and had us go down and describe who, how many people were going to be living there and what we did. One, like one after the other? Yeah. And so each person had to say, it's just going to be me and I'm a lawyer. And then the other person, there were two of them. They had two dogs as well. How many people were there? Six total. Well, six, okay. six total people. There were more than that because... So many of them were couples, so I suppose the total about ten, but okay. six different like applicants for the apartment. Right. And um, you know, I'm a, I'm a single gal, and it was just going to be me living there. And I told him I was an attorney, and I I left the open house, and he called me, and he said, "You're my first choice. I'm going to advance your application." Okay. And then that was it. <laughs> the apartment was mine. <laughs> so right. I only really think I went and saw like two or three and that was the only application I submitted. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> that does sound a lot different than a lot of people's experiences for sure. So I, that's good. I think so. I, uh, I consider myself very lucky. And you moved from Austin. That's right. Is that right? Yeah. What was the difference in cost of living between San Francisco and Austin? <laughs> well, I own my home in Austin. It's a three bedroom home with a detached garage apartment in central Austin. And my mortgage was, and still is, around uh, $2,500 a month. And I live in a a one bedroom apartment here and my my rent is uh, $3,025. So, that's a that's a difference. It's not around. terrible. I, I I was expecting much worse. Really? To be honest with you. <laughs> and I'm sure Austin is is probably more higher cost of living than I guess other places in Texas or like where I lived in the Midwest or Louisiana. That might be right. Yep. And and I guess that's that was only two years ago. I mean, when I think back to my time when I moved here, I had a two bedroom townhouse in Baton Rouge, and my mortgage was like six hundred fifty dollars a month. Whoa! Yeah. Wow. And I sold my townhouse there for like one hundred twenty-five thousand uh-huh. um, dollars. Yeah, my first apartment here was two thousand a month, which would be a steal right now. Yeah, right now. Um, okay. But so that was like, you know, almost you know, more than three times, more than three times the amount um, difference for me when I moved here. Jeez, wow. Well, we're um, okay. So it sounds like you found a place pretty easily. But what other did you run into any other challenges in terms of like moving to San Francisco? Caring for the dog and caring for the car. <laughs> when I first got here, uh, well, it was a bit of a hassle to find somewhere to store the, the dang car. Mm-hmm. I called it just <laughs> my my big hunk of metal that I'd have to continuously move all around. What kind of car is that? It's a Lexus IS350. It's a okay. small car. It's not okay. like a, a Ford a, a Expedition or a truck, but just getting the appropriate neighborhood permit. And then once you're in the neighborhood, figuring out the days of the week that the, oh, yeah. the street's going to get cleaned. I got a few parking tickets in my day. Oh, yeah. And then making sure you walk by your car every couple of days to see if someone had a you know one of those temporary permits for moving mm-hmm. where you can't park in that area or mm-hmm. you know some construction going on. I've had my car towed. Oh, wow. Because I of that. I haven't had that happen to me yet. Yeah, I hadn't gone by that car in a few days and come to find out someone was moving and had gotten a permit to clear the 
clear the curb for a while mm-hmm. and they towed my car. Um, so taking care of the car has been a big expense and you think, well, why do I even need a car? I should just sell it or get rid of it. I live in San Francisco after all, but I've never been, I guess I've never sold it. I still have it. Yeah. It's kind of nice to have, especially since I have a dog, which is another big unexpected expense or trouble um, is just caring for the dog yeah. um, and carting the dog all around. And I, I go to work in the morning and I'm not there to let it out in the middle of the day. So you have to pay for a dog walker. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding a good dog walker and paying the dog walkers, that's an, that was a large cost. It's $400 a month to oh, have wow. your dog walked every weekday. Yeah, I see those guys sometimes down around yep. like Chrissy Field Marina Greens and they'll have literally like six dogs yep. leashed up to them at once, like out walking. I, I even had a friend that, that I kind of lost contact with, but he was a professional dog walker and that's what, he, that's what he did for a living. I bet they can make good money. Yeah, I, I think so. I pay her $400 a month and just like you were saying, you have like six dogs in a pack and she has she does three runs a day. Right. So that's 18 to 20 dogs per day that she's walking and each one paying her $400 a month. That can really add up. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I think is similar between San Francisco and Austin is both of those cities seem to me to be universally loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been to Austin. Oh, wow. But I've also never talked to somebody who's been to Austin that didn't love it. And, and I find that a lot about San Francisco as well. I mean, people kind of complain about the cost of living sometimes, but in general... Most people love visiting both of these cities. When you compare the two, because you now spent quite a bit of time in each one of them, what what are how do they compare to each other? And what would you say are the uh, pluses and minuses between them? You can sneeze. That's okay. <laughs> I was like, just wait through his question. I think I I avoided it. Um, I love Austin. I love it. It's my home. All my family still lives there. <coughs> I can go back whenever I want to. And people are fiercely protective of Austin. And I can say what I'm about to say because I'm from there. <laughs> and that's Austin's a small town and it gets a little boring. Okay. Um, and that's one of the reasons I decided to move is because there's only so many places you can really go there and people keep going back to the same places over and over again. And I just got a little tired of it. Um, and I'm from there, so I'd spent many years there. Um, San Francisco is bigger and has more to offer, but at the same time, it's not like a, a New York. I don't like New York. I find it a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons I love San Francisco is because you still have um, the feeling of nature all around you. Uh, you don't have to, I can see the bay right now. Um, for my workplace, I can see the bay. I live directly underneath the Presidio and I go on hikes and runs through there all the time with my dog. Um, but at the same time you have, you know, uh, many, many different neighborhoods to go to and there's always new restaurant openings to try out. So I think it has more to offer than Austin does. What about the, uh, the dating scene? <laughs> well, what, so I've heard a lot of, uh, people say that dating and San Francisco is different than other places they've lived. What was, what's your experience been? Um, well, so, geez. Dating in Austin, again, it's a small town, and you kind of see the same people over and over again. So I guess that might be a difficulty there. 
and I kind of had a boyfriend most of the time I was living in, in Austin. So I don't know how I really dated all that much, but I, I certainly tried different dating services there and here. Um, when I moved to San Francisco, I continued to do those certain d- dating services. Mm. And uh, six months after moving here, I met my boyfriend and we've been together for about a year and a half. So yeah. I was... What, what were the big dating, I guess, apps or, or sites in Austin? The, I, you know, there's always Match and eHarmony. Um, and I've been at those in different stages of my life. But the one in Austin that I did and really enjoyed was called It's Just Lunch. Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's people always refer to it as, oh, that's the one that's advertised in the airplane magazines. And yes, it is that one. Um, it's a service where it's substantially more expensive than any of the other ones. It's mm-hmm. several thousand dollars, I think. Um, and you go and meet with a matchmaker in person and they arrange a series of dates for you and they call you up on the phone and they describe the person and glowing, flattering language that no person would ever say no to. <laughs> and, um, you show up at the, the spot that's selected for you and you meet the person for the first time. Um, so there is no website involved. There's no... You don't see a picture of them or anything. They don't show you a picture. That's part of their policy is this is not a looks-based thing. Okay. Um, you don't pick the place. The matchmaker picks it all. You never speak to the person beforehand. You don't text them. You don't email with them. You don't do a, you know, in-app chat with them. Boom. You show up. You're live. I like that. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Everything's all arranged. They tell you where to go and they say, you just check in with the hostess and say, you know, I'm Bonnie and I'm here to meet Joe. (laughs) Sorry, Joe Bone, not, not you. (laughs) Um, and they take you over and sit down and you have lunch or dinner. Okay. So that was nice. It had, uh, I think that, um, there were some, maybe some higher quality people who signed up for it Mm -hmm. and who were interested in more in-depth relationships, more meaningful relationships. That was a good one. Yeah. It seems, you know, so I've been living here for six years now and when I first moved here, nobody, I mean, I, I know people were online dating, but I didn't hear people talk about it that much. And now it seems it's got to the point where it's like almost the only dating it's going on yeah. anymore. It's almost like if you hear someone who's not on Facebook or not on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> you think, gosh, you're not on Tinder? Yeah. You don't do coffee meets bagel, whatever yeah. it is. It's, it's a little bit of a shocker when people don't do it. Right. So give me a rundown of when you moved to San Francisco of the, the different dating apps that you tried and like what your favorite, least favorite ones were, that sort of thing. You know, the only one I tried upon moving here was tender. Okay. <laughs> that was the only new one you tried? The only one I think I tried at Period. all. Period, okay. You know, earlier, much earlier, several years ago when I was uh, living in other places like Georgia, I would, I'm would i sure I used Match and eHarmony, mm-hmm. but I hadn't used those in years. Um, nope, when I came to San Francisco, the only thing I ever tried was just tender. <laughs> okay. Yep. I've tendered. No <laughs> I've tendered. You know, I, I um I've I've tried a few. I liked um I think my favorite one was Coffee Meets Bagel. Okay. Of all of them. 
Cause that one would, you'd get like one person a day sent to you and you'd kind of, you, there'd be like a few pictures, a little profile write up and you, you just choose, well, yes or no, essentially. So it was kind of like Tinder, mm-hmm. but you got one person a day. So I feel like you like gave it more thought than like swiping through yes. like 20, 30 people. It, it wasn't something you did on the bus just to pass time yeah. during your commute. Um, did then, you search for people on Coffee Meets Bagel or did they match you with an algorithm? Um, they matched with an algorithm. So every day at noon, you get this, you get your potential match for the day. And you'd have like 24 hours to choose yes or no. And if that person, both people chose yes, then you'd be be allowed to like text each other and like set something up. Okay. Did you see them on Shark Tank? Shark Tank. No. Yeah. No, really. They were on there. They're, yeah. The founders of Coffee Meets Bagel were on an episode of Shark Tank. Okay. How'd they do? Um... I guess that really depends on who you ask. They came off as a bit arrogant, perhaps. Really? And the sharks kind of dug into them, and they did not get a deal. They they left without mm-hmm. getting any money. Hmm. Yeah, I have no idea how how it's going um, right now, because um, I haven't been in a while, but they seem to be doing well. I think that they are. I've, yeah. I've, heard, I've certainly heard about them, and right. I've heard good things. Yeah. Okay, so you met your boyfriend on Tinder. I met my boyfriend on Tinder. That was my both of our first Tinder dates. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I had been on Tinder for a while, and it was very fun <laughs> with the, the swiping and the tapping yeah. and the, ooh, match. <laughs> um, but, you know, you start to chat with some people, and then it just falls off, and you mm-hmm. never meet them, even though you talk about meeting them, and you make plans. It never seemed to come to fruition. Um, but yeah, my my boyfriend was the first person I met in person, and uh, we went down to the Wild Hair, the corner of Davis in California, which is still one of our favorite places to mm-hmm. go. You know where that is? Yeah. And used to be uh, Solstice. It, it was. Probably before your time, huh? No, or that was before it? my time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it had just changed over right, right when I moved Different here. place now. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, you know, now I, I view it as a uh, go there, watch game, kind of rowdy crowd. Before it was very like dimly lit, quiet. It's like a wine um, bar? I mean, it had the looks of a wine bar, um, but they had like wine and cocktails. But it was just more of a like quiet sit down. Um, I don't know. Yeah. A little bit more formal place than than it is now. Well, if I had one criticism of Wild Hair, it would be that it is too loud. Uh, the music is quite um, loud. Right. <laughs> I would not mind if they turned it down. Yeah. Um, so you went to Wild Hair. You guys had a few drinks, and the rest is history. Uh, huh? We had many drinks. <laughs> it was uh, both a, a typical tender date and atypical in that we actually stayed together and. Uh, it's been one and a half years, like I was saying, but we have a, a ton in common. We're both from Texas, number one. Okay. He's from San Antonio, and his parents live approximately an hour away from my parents do, um, which was a huge coincidence. And so, yeah, we were both into art, and um, yeah, that's, well, that's <laughs> I'm, great. I'm blushing a bit. So <laughs> yeah, well, let me ask you this. Um, you know, obviously, it's very normal to online date. Almost everyone out here is on Tinder, it seems like. But I still feel like there's maybe like a, a stereotype where people that meet on Tinder don't want to like tell people mm-hmm. they met on Tinder. Um, 
what was that like for you guys? Did you guys strategize on how you were going to tell that to Not people or you just really. came right out and did it? No, we tell people. We don't care. We think it's yeah. funny. Um, and we like for people to see their shocked faces. I mean, no one can believe that we met on Tinder um, and that we've been together for as long as we have. Um, so people get a tickle out of it. Yeah. Uh, lots of girls I say, I tell, they, they're they like, okay, then that gives me hope. That gives me hope. Yeah. And reactions like that. Yeah, I was curious. Um, I like a few days ago, I, I googled um, how many people have met on Tinder and like went on to get married. Oh, and I couldn't find that exact statistic. But what I did find was an article from about a year ago, and uh, this writer had contacted Tinder and asked like that question. And at that time, a thousand people had gotten engaged. Wow, uh, who met on Tinder? It didn't say how many had been married, and I'm sure it's like a lot more like a year later, but. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. I told my boyfriend that we should contact Tinder and offer to be in a commercial together, but he didn't <laughs> want to. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. You know, I've actually been wanting to do a podcast about Tinder. I'm trying to find a volunteer where I get two people that are going to go on a Tinder date and they come on the podcast before the date. Without meeting. Like, without meeting, kind of talk about why they like the other person uh, blah, blah, blah. Then they go on the date. And then afterwards I talk to, I talk to each of them separately as well and like post that. So if anybody is willing to do that, I've had a few people say yes, but then, then back out. I'd love to do, I'd love to do a show like that. That would be a really good idea. Um, so, um, let's talk some more about San Francisco. What neighborhood do you live in? Uh, that might be up for debate. I, (laughs) I, I think I live in either Presidio Heights or Laurel Heights. Okay. Near the strip mall with the Calmart and the Chicos and the Baby Gap. Okay. That apparently used to be a graveyard. Yeah. So you're in one of those border <laughs> border neighborhoods. I, uh, I'm yes. like that as well. I'm like, I tell people Pack Heights. They argue with me that it's Cow Hollow. It's like right there. So I know what that's like. Uh-huh. What, um... What are your, um, so in your neighborhood, whether it be Laurel Heights, Presidio Heights, whatever mm. you consider your neighborhood, what would you say are your three favorite things to do or places to go in your neighborhood? Uh, walking and hiking and running. It's relatively flat and yet it still has some decent hills if you want to work your quads. Uh, so one of the things I love living, one of the things I love about living in San Francisco is the the weather. It's such a welcome relief from the scorching heat of Texas. So, mm-hmm. um, my dog and I go running and hiking in the Presidio. The Presidio is just so gorgeous. It smells so lovely. And every time I walk through it, I can't believe I live here and get to experience that on a daily basis. Right. Um, what's some of your favorite areas in the Presidio that you go hiking or walking? I, on the long weekends, we go all the way up to the Golden Gate Bridge and down to the warming hut and then back again. And that's over five miles. Nice. Um, most frequently it's just, um, kind of along the Presidio golf course and around there, which is shorter and more reasonable. Okay. Um, Spruce restaurant is right around the corner from my house. I like Spruce. Been there, only been there once. Did you sit in the bar or the restaurant proper? I sat at the bar and I had a burger, so I've never done the restaurant proper. That's all I ever do. Okay. I think that's all you need to do. Um, did you go on a Sunday night? Um, no, I went actually, I think on an afternoon, I had lunch there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sundays they have some kind of special with burgers and wine or okay. something, or maybe that's just when everyone tends to go there. But I, I like the bar scene very much. I've never sat in the restaurant. The restaurant itself looks a little bit too stuffy for me, but yeah, I like it, the bar. It does seem like a pretty formal stuffy place. Yeah. I, I agree with you from my time in there. Um, we still like to go to Wild Hair. That's right down in Deviz. Um, there's a new restaurant called Nico that opened up on Sacramento. It's um, like a, a French bistro, and it's very good. So that's my favorite place in oh, the really? neighborhood. Cool. I love that place. Awesome. Um, yeah, everyone's, you, you got to check that out if you haven't been there. It's one of my favorite new restaurants I've been to in the last year or so, for sure. I went when they had their soft opening, and that was really cool to go before it really opened up, and the chef chef owner, one of the other, came over and chatted with us, so it was nice speaking with him. Yeah, it does seem like a very neighborhoodly type place. Yes. I mean, it, like if I was in that neighborhood, I think I would be there all the time. Yeah, I always pass by on my way to the public library, which is about a block away, and look at the bar and think to myself, today I shall go have a glass of rosé champagne at the yeah. bar at Nico. <laughs> it yeah. looks like that kind of place. Yeah, and they have a bunch of small plates. They have like a wine pairing, I believe, with every single plate on the menu. And yeah, the service is just really great. just seems like a nice local neighborhood spot. That's good, yeah. Okay. Good addition. Top three places to get a drink in San Francisco. Oh, Anywhere with wine, uh, Spruce makes a really good martini. I like martinis. Okay. Um, I've only been a couple times, but Top of the Mark is super fun. Yeah. And it's really impressive to take guests there. I went, um, I'd been at night. I went for the first time like around sunset um, a couple weeks ago, and it was a really clear evening. It was, it was spectacular. It's beautiful. And it really is. There's often like, um, I don't know if you call them dance clubs or just ballroom dancers who mm -hmm. go there and there's a fabulous live band and the ballroom dancers, you know, are dancing all around and their skirts are flaring and it's quite gorgeous and you feel like you're in the 1940s and 50s. Oh, cool. It's nice. Um, I love all the tiki bars in San Francisco. I had never really been to any tiki bars before moving here. And they're really fun. So there's the Smuggler's Cove. Yeah. And it was like golf or something. I love that place. And uh, the Tiki. It's a dangerous place to walk into in an afternoon. Why is that? Because yeah, it's a place you can just sit there and have drink after drink <laughs> after drink. And you should go in the afternoon, I think, yeah. is the key. Because otherwise it takes half an hour to get a drink. Yeah. Um, the yeah it is a pretty like popular touristy spot, oh, I think, gosh. at night on the weekends. It is just nuts. It is yeah. hard. Go place. on a Sunday afternoon and it's uh, it's a cool spot. Yeah. Uh, I went there. The last time I went there was during something like National Bartenders Weekend or the the basically the Bartender Oscars. Right. Um, and there were all these um, salesmen there with for spirits companies. So there was a whole group of Australians that were just going nuts. And they informed me that one of the bartenders there had won like best bartender in whichever geographic region mm -hmm. this thing was operated in. But he, he's great. And those drinks are fabulous. Um, the, the, the conga room. Tonga room. Tonga room. Yeah. So that's really fun. Yep, right across spot. the street from top of the mark. If yeah. you want to change it face. Um, we went to a really fun Halloween party there. Okay. It was fun. So yeah, all the tiki bars. There's another one. Ah, the name is escaping me, but it's in the sunset. On Geary, it's called like uh, Mad. 
No. Man. I can't think of it. I, I'll put it on the show notes, but it's it's on the tip of my tongue. I went there like six months ago. And Let's it was really describe cool it to each other and see if it's like, is it like really I mean, divey type bar, divey, cheesy. Lots of young people there. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Oh, man. That <laughs> is one of our secret favorites, too. Yeah. We like to go there a lot. Uh, yeah, that place gets packed as well, but it's super fun and there's yeah. so many tasty drinks. Yeah, just look Tiki Bar on Yelp in the sunset. You'll find it. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the name right now. No. Tommy's? Tom? Something Tom. Tom, Tom or Tim's or something like that. Yeah. Tim yeah. Shack. Anyway. Mm. Okay. Those are some <laughs> good ones. What about, uh, what's a new place you've been to um, recently that really impressed you? Um, what's that? Is it, is it Michael Mina? Is that the restaurant owner? Yeah, Michael Mina in like the financial district? Yes, correct. He opened up a sushi place not too terribly long ago. Um, it's called like Mura, Mura, I think. It's pretty darn good. Okay. Um, Where is it at? It's like at Battery and California or okay. Battery and Pine. Um, it's pretty good. Um, it wasn't a new place, but it was new to me. I went to a West African restaurant in Soma, hmm. and that was pretty good. Remember the name of that one? No, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. Okay. Oh, ooh, Bishop and Little Boa. Okay. Have you heard of it? Um, this, little Boa is in the mission. It was. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I said so well, but it was the mission. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It yeah. I've been to that place. That place is cool. It, had, really cool. I, it wasn't Jamaican, but it felt like kind of the same kind of fun Jamaican vibe to it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. last question I always ask everybody. Um, if you had to move away from San Francisco, how would you spend your last day in the city? I would wake up relatively early and take a lovely hike through the Presidio with my dog. Then I would find a sunny patio somewhere and drink some good beers or some good champagne or some good wine and go shopping a little bit, perhaps in Hayes Valley. That sounds nice. And end up at a fabulous restaurant that I've always wanted to try, but never been able to. But since it's my last day, I'm assuming I could get in anywhere. So that would be Rich Table or Five Star Day. What is that place called? State Bird? Yes. Yes. State Bird. I went to State Bird for the first time on Friday. Oh, man. Um, How'd you get in? It was awesome. Well, my friend was in town and he took a half day off of work. And uh, he, we had both always wanted to go, and he said he would, he would be willing to go stay, stay in line. And uh, he got down there at four o'clock. They opened at five thirty, so we got down there at four o'clock. He was the second person in line. By the time I got down there at five, it was um, uh, there was probably twenty twenty five people in line. And um, yeah, we got you know we were the second people in line. Got in, got sat at the chef's table, and let me tell you what I mean. That place they open at five thirty. By five thirty five. That entire place is full, and there's still people in line, and the and the place is like bustling. Yeah, um, the, the, it was awesome. It was tasty. So I highly recommend that. Yeah, Good. I liked it better than Rich Table, although Rich Table is great as well. Well, I I try one of those two places. Maybe I would go to both. Yeah. <laughs>
there you have it. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, it was great talking with Bonnie. She's obviously had a lot of success in the courtroom. And uh, you know what? I wouldn't want to face her. I wouldn't want to go against her in court because I'd, I'd probably lose. Um, I also really loved hearing her stories about moving to San Francisco and some of the challenges she faced when she was here and and her ventures in the online dating world. You know, both of those stories made me reminisce um, about some of my adventures um, in, in, in those areas. So um, if you want to learn more about Bonnie, go check out the San Francisco People website. It's www.sfpeoplepodcast.com. And from the front page there, you can get a recap of the show. You can get links to everything we talked about on the show. Um, so go check it out. Um, I'd also love to hear from you. I'd love to hear any feedback you have about the show. If you have any ideas for future guests, I'd love to hear that too. Uh, you can email me. It's frank at sfpeoplepodcast.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at sfpeoplepodcast. And you can also get onto our Facebook fan page and leave a comment there. So I look forward to hearing from you. We'll be back in a few weeks. I'm Frank Garza for San Francisco People.